Um, I'm just going to start with a picture up on the screen, um, which is, uh, if you've ever been in my study, uh, this is right up above the, uh, the, uh, the old fireplace. And uh, you will know this. It's pretty much one of my heroes, main heroes, is Lord Nelson. Uh, on the, um, take away the fact that he's just about to be shot, all right? Uh, this is a great moment. Maybe it is like church leadership. I don't know. But uh, uh, it does remind me of just the sense of calmness. There's the craziness, the chaos going around. And the sense of calmness as he's standing there. Uh, if you don't know, he's the one on the, on the, on the right. And uh, you probably can't see it that well. Maybe drop the lights because we're going to watch a little bit of a video in a moment. Drop the lights. That's great. A bit of clarity there for you. Um, and there's just that calmness. There's that sense of single-minded focus in the midst of the chaos. And I just find it so helpful sometimes as a leader when you're standing back and you're trying to see what's going on in the midst of everything. Uh, and um, uh, alongside this sort of leadership thing, um, uh, some of the books that I've been reading over the, the, the last few years are the Patrick O'Brien series, which is the, the, uh, the, the, the series of uh, nautical books. They're, they're quite complex, and sometimes I drop myself over into Hornblower because it's a lot more straightforward in those ones, or Bolotho, which are some of the others. I've sort of read these things throughout my life. Uh, but the, um, the Patrick O'Brien one is a certain master and commander, is the thing. And a few years ago, as a film came out uh, with Russell Crowe, uh, fantastic film, do recommend it, um, uh, uh, where he's playing Jack Aubrey, who's captain of HMS Surprise. And, um, and it, I just want you to watch a minute of an inspirational speech. Uh, the, the French uh, Akron, as it's called, is just about to draw alongside. They're just about to play a bit of a trick on them. And this is his inspirational speech, all right? And you just listen to it. Uh, before we crack on with a bit of Ephesians. Uh, sorry, not Ephesians, Philippians, isn't it? <laughs> right, lads. Now, I know there's not a faint heart among you. And I know you're as anxious as I am to get into close action. But we must bring him right up beside us before we spring this trap. That will test our nerve. And discipline will count just as much as courage. The Acheron is a tough nut to crack. More than twice our guns, more than twice our numbers. And they will sell their lives dearly. They mean to take us as a prize. <laughs> and we are worth more to them undamaged. Their greed will be their downfall. England is under threat of invasion. And though we be on the far side of the world, this ship is our home. This ship is England. So it's every hand to his rope or gun. Quicks the word and sharps the action. After all, surprise is on our side. <laughs> Come on. Can't you not be just one minute of Russell Crowe in that? Yeah, anyhow, lights, lights up. You know, there, there are those moments on those speeches, but that moment, that, that issue in the middle of a, a battle, in the middle of a, of a, a, a confrontation, there's just some lovely statements there that actually I think capture something of what, uh, what church is, actually. You know, this is England. This is, this is us. This is, this is our focus. Let, let's, let's come together at this moment. Let's, let's focus together. You know, uh, the thing that, that comes across when you see the ship there and you see the film is there's a lot of disparate stuff that happens. 
Have you ever seen the film? There's some that get, you know, cheesed off with others. There's a lot of murmuring. There's, well, but they, at this moment, they realize the immensity and they come together. This is England. Let's pull together for surprises on our side. And there's a single-mindedness, I suppose, there. And this is what I think is the heart so often when Paul shares in these letters. And this is quite an incredible uh, letter we're going to be looking through in quite a lot of depth, actually, over the next few months. Three months we're going to be looking at Philippians. And in our uh, connect groups as well, we're going to be looking at those in relation to it as well. And I do believe that actually we are at a significant moment. The church in this land... Um, just talking to Liz about spring harvest, the call for the church to be a church that, if you like, knows where it's at, secure where it's at, and actually is speaking into its community. And we have something so precious to bring, I really believe. We're in a moment in history of confusion, a lack of leadership, a lack of integrity, all those things around us. We have that opportunity as church to model something so different, but we have to make a choice to do that. And if you like, Philippians is packed with purpose. Um, It was written (coughs) to the Philippian church, the church in Philippi, based around uh, Acts 16. Uh, There's the the new leadership. But there's a sense of focus here as we think about what uh, uh, Jack Aubrey talked about there. Just 121, which we're going to look at next week, is for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Just a simple statement, but it's... All there, all there is is to live for Jesus. And actually, if I give myself for Jesus, there's the bonus that even when I die, I will be with him forever. You can't get much better than that. And then also, one thing, chapter 3, verse 13, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, strain forward to follow Jesus and know Jesus. So here he is writing in prison. Uh, you get hints of that in these uh, first few verses there that were read. Uh, probably awaiting execution in Rome. We don't know exactly. So on death row, here he is trained to a Roman soldier. Um, and possibly over a two-year period. But the one word that comes through constantly, just consistently throughout this book is the word joy. The word Joy. I don't know about you, if I was chained up to two other soldiers either side of me, if I was stuck in a bunker, if I was stuck in a place where I cannot see the way forward, would joy be on my lips? Would joy be in my heart? I don't know whether I would, but there's this challenge here about choosing joy. We had a chat about this yesterday morning in our uh, morning, Saturday morning connect group about this. What is the difference between joy and happiness? You talk to a lot of people and you say, so, you know, what do you want in life? I just want to be happy. It's quite a common statement. I just want to be happy. But the happiness it talks about here is something, it's not a happiness that's fleeting based on some sort of, uh, uh, you know, hit that we might get, uh, moments of happiness, which are great. Don't get me wrong, it's great to have happiness, to desire happiness. But actually, this is a joy that in the midst of life, we know a certainty, a security. The most precious people that I've ever known in my ministry have often been people who have actually been right in the midst of it, in the muck of life, for whatever reason, often near death. But they have a simple, real joy. They have chosen joy, even though 
Everything around them says, why should I be joyful? And that is the call, the challenge really, that whatever our circumstances, whatever the people are around us that wind us up, whatever the things of life that happen, whatever the anxiety or worry, we are called to choose joy. Because you know what? The enemy only comes to kill and steal and destroy, to rob us of life. But life in Jesus is fullness. And that means fullness of joy. So we're going to discover about how to be more joyful. Are you up for being more joyful? Yeah, yeah come on. Okay. I, we had an Indian evangelist here last night on this stage, and every other word was hallelujah, okay, virtually. So, you know, I, I, I can go faintly Pentecostal for you, but, you know, every other word, literally, yes, Graham and Hillary were there. It was a fantastic evening. It was such a precious evening in here. But I tell you, it was all hallelujah, hallelujah, and the, you expect a response. But I won't go there this morning. It's early, I know. But I think that's what we're about. And it's something you should say, hallelujah. Not just because the sun shone today. Not just because things were fairly decent. Not because we paid our bills. But actually we're saying, hallelujah. I know that Jesus is with me. You know, one of the things to say, um, I could go off on a tangent here. But one of the things my father-in-law taught me was he used to say every time a bill came through the door. Every time a, a particular thing would came, which normally just say, oh, no. He would always say, oh, yes, hallelujah. So Penny, uh, Mary's mum, always used to know when a bill had come through or a you know, tax issue or something like that. Because he'd hear loud as anything, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, you've given us this opportunity to trust you. But that's the nub of it, isn't it? That's the challenge. Choose joy. And he begins, as we go through this, doing that here. Joy in the midst of... Of life itself. So, how can we have joy? Let's look at this, uh, dig down into this a little bit more. Verses three to six. Firstly, greater thankfulness. Just hinted at that, really. Uh, he would have reminisced and thought back, uh, poor at this moment. He would have thought of the times in Acts 16 where actually his time in Philippi involved beatings, involved prison. Um, and involved basically being seen as someone they wanted to kick out. Imagine that. Coming to Barnet, and you're in Barnet, and you're just going to be beaten. You're going to be dragged through the streets. That's his first picture in mind when he talks about thankfulness. Secondly, there was an earthquake. Uh, there's, it's the story of the earthquake, if you remember, when they're singing. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing to sing in such a way that caused an earthquake? Or God brought an earthquake and the, the, the prison he was in, the doors open and literally the jailer comes running in and says, kill me because you know, all of you are going to escape. And all the prisoners are sticking around and they stay there. And then as a result, the jailer becomes a Christian. He becomes one of the first Christians in Philippi. And then also a lady called Lydia. Isn't it fantastic and interesting the fact that the first church that was planted was led by one? Hmm. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but isn't that fascinating? Lydia, uh, uh, you know, a dealer in, in purple, was the one who led the, the first church. And here we are. He's reminiscing in his mind. He's saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I thank my God every time I remember you. I remember those moments. It was so glorious. And in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And so what he begins there is what I would call an attitude of gratitude. A thankful heart. And that is a challenge, isn't it? To move in gratitude. 
I suppose I'm just inviting you as I'm inviting myself to move in gratitude. There are things that it's very hard to be grateful for. Uh, I was sharing with Nigel Mary. I just started taking up golf. And uh, I've just got my, I have my, you have these things called, if you get your handicap, you have to hand a card in and you have to, and they, they make, make up a number. It will be in my case at the end of it. So I went for my first nine holes this week and first hole, I'm standing at Old Fold Manor, lovely, beautiful day, all this stuff, looking great, you know, <coughs> reminding me, lots of gear, no idea. So I had all the gear, feeling good, and I was with one or two other guys who are far better golfers than me who were there to sort of do my card. One plays off two and one plays off ten, if you know what that means in handicapping terms. And I, they said, no, you start. First hole, first shot, right along the ground. And it went just over the bridge, which is about 30 yards away, okay, front of there. You know, and you, immediately you feel so low and you feel so rubbish. And actually that hole was such a bad start to my career at Old Fold Manor. But it's funny because immediately I, I, I was, I'd been reading this. So I was thinking, I've got a choice here. I either say, thank you, Lord, that I'm, number one, able to swing enough to actually get it 30 yards. Number two, it's such a beautiful place to wander down. Or as Mark Twain said, how to, you know, golf is a great way to ruin a really nice walk. Whatever. But an attitude of gratitude. And so, you know, I just invite us to that. I thank my God every time I remember you. Do we think that? Do we think about all that we have? Not just physically, but actually all that we have, not just materially, but all that we have in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership. I love the term partnership. You want to say that, it really hit me the other day, there was a stat that came out. Because often people say, that how is the church going to grow? Do you realize it it won't happen through the vicar? It, It won't happen through one person. Quite often, you get a sense sometimes, it's like, well, you're great. You really like talking to not yet Christians, for example. You can go and do it. You know the, the actual number of Christ- people who become Christians in most churches, pretty much all churches, uh, the, the percentage that is through the vicar? 1%. 1%. So however brilliant I might be, I'm not going to be very effective unless my partners in the gospel are sharing about the Lord Jesus, we are never going to grow the church in this land. It's not going to be about this. It's not going to be about ones or two or or the brilliant. It's going to be about all of us. So he says, I thank you, Lord. Um, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And we're all partners together. It's not about certain types or certain flavors. I want to say nine o'clock. We're all part of this. We're all part of this. And one of the things I really, really yearn to work at is that we would all be part of this. This isn't about one service and another service. This isn't about one expression or another expression. It isn't about styles. We are, not in, we are not in that place anymore as church, are we? We are called to be people partnering for the sake of the gospel. Let's lay aside our feelings in one sense and say we choose to be partners together and why do we do it because we're confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of christ what he has planted here in this place in this church all those years ago 177 years ago this year he will do something great just to say in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be celebrating, for example, what was planted when the Open Door Centre began. Five years since it opened. 
And we're going to have a little memorial service at four o'clock up at Ridge. The recently cleared memorial place for John Trotter and William Pennefather. We're going to have a little memorial service just for 20 minutes. We says, thank you God for these men who at one point said, we want to plant something here that is for the gospel, for reaching this part of Barnet. And we're standing in their line. We're standing on their shoulders as partners because we are confident of this, that he who began a good work in me. You know, it's a life verse. I've got my old Bible, which I was given by my parents when I went to university. It looks pretty old, doesn't it? It looks like it's from the uh, 19th century, let alone the 20th century. I suppose it's encouraging because it looks like it's been read. But the first page, it says in here, it's fallen out, in fact. Being confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work, my dad wrote, in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The RSV version. Our identity, who we are, is in Christ. And we say, thank you, Lord. And he always has more. Confident of this, he says there is more. He will complete. That means there's more. He will continue to do stuff. Ultimately, so he completes what he wants for things. But first and foremost, we need to come out of thankfulness. I came across this story of a man in Budapest who goes to his rabbi and complains. He says, life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? The rabbi answers, take your goat into the room with you. The man was incredulous. He said, what does that mean? The rabbi says, do as I say and come back in a week. A week later, a man comes back um, totally distressed. He says, we can't stand it. The goat is filthy. It's appalling. The rabbi said, now go home. Let the goat out. Then come back in a week. A week later, they sent a note. Life is beautiful. No goat, only nine of us. But joy is a choice. Thankfulness is a choice, isn't it? So let's walk in thankfulness. That's the first thing he says. Secondly, greater love. Greater love. Verses 7 to 9. It's right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or defending, confirming the gospel. That's a challenge, isn't it? What is the church known for? We can be known for a whole load of things. We can be known for maybe great music or great worship, great preaching or teaching, great kids' work, great seniors' work, great food bank, great cafes, great coffee, great this, great that, whatever. And they can be great. There's nothing wrong with programs. But what cuts through above all things? What cuts through is love. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. Not by this program or by this alpha course or by this or that. However brilliant they are, it's going to be by their love. And he's calling them to a greater love. He's aware that church is like church. Church has lots of fantastic things about it. But church would be a lot easier without people, wouldn't it? Sometimes. And yet actually it's the very core of it. People, weird people, funny looking people, lovely people, challenging people. Because we're family, aren't we? And he says, work out what it means to love one another. And he's saying the starting point is that culture of love. And that's what I long for, that we would be a place where encouragement's the first place we go. Even if we're wound up by things, let's encourage one another. Let's honor one another. A culture of honor, it says here. 
across the generations, across the ages. And that is a motivational thing, isn't it, when you've got a love and an honor going on. There's something incredible. I've become a closet supporter of Newcastle United, uh, mainly because one of my best friends is the, is the manager there. And there's change in, in things there. And I've been involved with him every week. I send him a voice note every week just to encourage him, give him Jesus, basically, and say it's all about Jesus. And it's much greater to know Jesus than it is to win games. And they're winning lots of games, and they've recovered this season. But a lot of it, he would say, it's because they've grown to love one another, even in a football team. Culture of honor, culture of respect. Even the people who hardly play, some of them are not even in the squad a part of this huge picture. They take a photo every week of, in the changing room, uh, you know, when they win, particularly, and they're winning a lot. You know, all together. That culture of love. I love this, um, this story of Michelangelo, sculptor, painter, who's pushing a huge heavy rock up a small incline to his work area to do some sculpting. And a neighbor watched him for over an hour as he worked on the rock. I don't know why he was, wasn't helping him, but anyhow. Finally, he asked Michelangelo, why do you labor so hard over an ugly piece of rock? And Michelangelo said this, because there is an angel inside that wants to come out. And that's the challenge, isn't it? There's a bunch of lumps of rock sitting around you at the moment that God is chipping away at and working at and forming. But we need to look at one another and say, we see what can be. We see the potential. How can I encourage them to be all they can be and develop them and love them in such a way that they will be all they can be for Jesus? Isn't that an amazing thing? So we'll have a coffee. Look at one another and say, what a lump of rock. No, look at one another and say, genuinely, what, can, what, what has God got to do in them? How can I pray for them? How can I nurture them? How can I encourage them maybe or build them up, chip away so they can be all they can be? These are exciting times, but we've got to be epitomized by by love. And it just won't happen. It says, I pray, verse 9, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. I came across this thing. Apparently, um, uh, sharks can be, um, if, you, if you confine them into a cage, small area, they stay small. Did you know that? So they stay, uh, maybe sometimes as small as six inches. But they stay at that size. And even till they're fully matured, they stay at that size because they're caged in. The amazing thing is that when they're released out, they can see their, their, their maximum size. They can, if you like, move in what they're meant to be. Now, you might have different feelings about sharks. But the fact is, is that they are meant to run free. They're meant to be the creatures they were created to be. We need to turn one another loose. Many of us have just been held within. And we need to allow the, 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 the lion to roar, the love to show. Because finally, briefly, greater expectation is these last few verses. That we may abound more and more. In verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless for the day, and live fruitful lives. Because God, I came across this quote which years ago which has really challenged me, blessed me. It says this, God loves you so much that he'll accept you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. i read that again. God loves you so much that he'll accept you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And really what he's saying here is we're not called to stand still. His prayer is that we would grow, firstly in discernment, 
about making good choices, wise choices. What is best? What is God's best? Not what is best for me, but what is God's best? Secondly, we're growing holiness. You know, perfection is not possible, I'm afraid. But holiness is. You know, one of the, uh, Penefather, who was the first vicar here, he was part of what was called the holiness movement. That actually he called people to a, a level of holiness that attracted people to himself. To, to, to Jesus, sorry. That's what he's calling us to do. Is the church any different from the world around us? The challenge is it's probably not. Are we any different from our neighbors? That's the call to holiness. And maybe when it comes to facing situations, two questions. Will it make others stumble? And secondly, would I be ashamed if Jesus was in the room with me? Maybe they're tests of holiness about things we say and things we watch and things we do. Finally, fruitfulness. Verse 11, it says, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, we've got a mulberry tree in our garden which hopefully will get some fruit. But we don't go out there and walk past it and it's going, Ah, ah. Well, I'm not aware of it. It creaks a bit. But it's not having to squeeze the fruit out. It's expecting, if you like, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. It's expected as we are faithful in our life. It's faithful to its calling to be a mulberry tree. And as it grows a mulberry tree, it will bear fruit. And that's what we're called to here, to be fruitful because we are faithful to glorify him. The little subtitle at Master Commander is this. The courage to do the impossible lies in the heart of men. The courage to do the impossible lies in the heart of men. Are we courageous to be that church that is full of joy, that is full of freedom, that is full of love, that is full of a partnership that's going to be world changing let's just pray before we have our final worship song together and this is really my prayer it's based around Jack Aubrey Lord Jesus I pray that you would call us to attention You'll call our spirits to attention in terms of your calling on our lives. That we would be that church of joy, that church of freedom, that church of real love. So I believe you're saying to us, it's every hand to his rope or gun. Quicks the word, sharps the action. After all, Jesus is on our side. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. You are for us. And you have plans for us. I pray that for us individuals and as a church, we would truly step in to the anointing and calling on our lives at this time. For the world needs the church more than ever. It needs a church fully vibrant with love for one another and for you. In Jesus' name, amen.